Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. Thank you, Al, for that. We're so glad that you are here, and uh, just welcome to the Vine. It's great to have you here, and... uh, We, uh, as your pastors and elders, I'm John Adams, and just want to say thanks for being a part of uh, this church family, and we're so privileged to be together today. And we have been in a series called Every Promise Fulfilled. This is so amazing that Jesus came and he fulfilled all of the 351 promises made in the Old Testament about the Messiah. Isn't that crazy? And the chances of that are just, as we've looked at, is just staggering, a, an incalculable number. And so today, we're, we're not going to look at all 351. You can say, thank you, John. Uh, we're going to look at three. And so we're looking at that in the context of, of God's Word in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn there and, or your handhelds? I think particularly today, I'd love to see you turn there if you have the ability to get into the Word and see the context of this passage, which is so important. But um, as we approach the Scripture today, imagine if you worked um, your whole lifetime and then finally you achieved like perfect contentment. Everything in your life, you would say, is perfect. And then for some reason, you had to step back and start over again and go into that whole routine again of years and years of sadness and struggle and heartache, that would be really hard to do, wouldn't it? Well, just imagine this. Jesus, he is the creator God. He is the everlasting father. He is the Lord of the universe. All glory belonged to him in heaven. In heaven, he shared perfection in his relationships with the Father and the Spirit. It couldn't be better for him. And yet, he had everything in heaven, yet he left it to come for us. He left, in essence, heaven's bliss so that he, would, that he might come here to this world and face sadness. And Isaiah 53, verse 3, called him the man of sorrows. No one has ever been as sorrowful or sad as Jesus when he died on the cross. But as we have been looking at in this series, it's not just his sadness, it's not just a part of his death, though it certainly was. It's also a part of his coming to earth, his birth and his childhood and his living in this fallen, broken world and experiencing all the sadness around him. So today we're going to be looking at how Jesus came uh, and came into our sadness that he might rescue those of us who believe in him. And he became human, and that's called uh, his incarnation. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 13, um, and I'm just going to teach through it. So keep your eye on that passage. And as you look at that passage right now, um, just make special note of verse 15, 
17 and 23. 15, 17, and 23. Those, those verses tell us about the three Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his childhood. And we're going to be kind of diving into that today. So Christ faced sadness that we might rejoice. And we see that Jesus in his incarnation, the first kind of sad thing he faced was a sad escape. Look at verse 13. It says there, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. We, we imagine Joseph. I mean, uh, I, I mean, here he has this dream. And God speaks to people in different ways. Remember the shepherds in Luke's gospel receive the, I mean, myriad of angels singing glory to God in the highest in the skies. They're lit up with glory of God. But here, Joseph, and three times in Matthew 1 and chapter 2, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. It's interesting. He's the dreamer of the New Testament, like Joseph of the Old. And here he gets this dream, and God gives him a message, but it's not this message of, oh, it's, it's Joseph, I'm going to do great things in your life. You're going to win the lottery. You're going to have the woman of your dreams. You're going to have the life that you could not have imagined. It's so good. No, he gives him a warning of impending doom. Get out. You're, you and your family and the Christ child especially are doomed if you don't leave Bethlehem. So <clears throat> it wasn't a pleasant dream. And so what did Joseph do? Like, like a literally, think about it, a refugee. He gathered his family in the middle of the night, took them the, some 75 miles to the country of Egypt where they were going to receive protection from Herod the Great because something bad was really going to happen soon. And they left family, friends. Imagine that he'd have no job there. They wouldn't have a house. They would leave their whole lifestyle and their support system. There would be no one. They would just go to Egypt and trust that somehow God would provide for them. And of course he did. But imagine if you were Joseph. That would be hard to do. But he did it. He, he, he says, verse 13 tells us that he, he, he obeyed. In verse 14, that he didn't hesitate. He quickly obeyed. In verse 14, and he rose and took the child. Notice the emphasis. He says, first, took the child first before Mary. Though Mary's important, the center of this story is Jesus. And he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. You see, Joseph didn't know what all this meant in this dream, but Matthew here gives us a fuller picture. And this is how good we, we get it to get more information. Verse 15, again, is a quote from Hosea the prophet, which says in Hosea 11.1, 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt... I called my son. You see, there's a double meaning in verse number 15, and it's this. God rescued his people from years of slavery in Egypt, remember, and brought them into the promised land to be set free. And what a day that was for them. 
But here is the son of glory, Jesus the Christ. And he is sent to be rescued to Egypt. And there he would be made, he would be protected until the day he would come back to Israel, ultimately die on a cross and set every person free who had spiritual bondage because of sin and blockage between them and God. Jesus comes, he's rescued in Egypt so that he can ultimately spiritually set God's people free. This is beautiful. And all this meaning, and, and, and Jesus was willing to go on this sad trip and face these sad realities. But we see in a second way, the way Jesus' incarnation, what it meant. And it's, for, secondly, a sad killing. We see that in verses 16 through 18. There we, we find that Matthew gives us a reason why the Christ child had to escape from Egypt. It says this, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now, last week, Tim shared with us how Herod the Great uh, was paranoid and he sought to kill people who threatened his throne, like his wife, his three boys. I mean, he would kill anyone. And here he's threatened by the Christ child in this news from the wise men. And verse 12 tells us that, um, that uh, the wise men thankfully received a dream from God and they followed his instructions and circumvented going back to Herod the Great. So Herod was furious when he knew they didn't come back to him. And he ordered all the children in Bethlehem, two years old and under, the male children, to be killed. Now this is horrible. This is, this is I mean, it doesn't get worse than this, right? Killing of children, small children. And imagine what the families, the parents in that community in Bethlehem went through. And the reality is, if this was Atlanta, it would have been thousands, maybe tens of thousands of children. But here it is in Bethlehem. It, most scholars say it was probably about 20, uh, 20 boys. Now, this honestly didn't make the news in history, and why? Because this was the ordinary way Herod the Great would respond. Tim told us about it last week. He would kill his family. He probably almost killed that many of his family members to protect his throne. And he would do anything because of his control to maintain his, his rule and his reign. Verse 17 and 18 describes this kind of sadness of the loss of life due to sin, not only for Bethlehem and their families, but also how this event would fulfill the promises of Scripture prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jer the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, there's also a double meaning here. Because, uh, for example, here, again, there's, an there's a far reach on this prophecy back to the time of Jeremiah. And then also the, the close reach 
here in the New Testament to Bethlehem. Here in the Rama was a border city between uh, the kingdoms of Israel, which in the north, remember at Solomon's, after his rule, the kingdom of Israel was divided into the north and the south. Ten tribes in the north called Israel or Ephraim or Manasseh and two tribes in the south called Judea. And there in this, there, the picture is the city here of Ramah is between the two. And this is the place where when the people of God were taken into exile, the ten tribes in the north to Assyria, and the, then later on in 586 BC, the two tribes in the south to Babylon, they were gathered by the conquering nations, Assyria and Babylon, in this city. It's interesting. And there they were gathered to be deported from the city of Ramah. And so here we have the picture of, like in Jeremiah, of Rachel, who was, again, the, the wife of Jacob. Remember, he was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And Jacob, when he was renamed ultimately, what was his name? Israel. And he, he, here the picture is like, Rachel is like the mother over all of the north and the south, all of Israel. And she's weeping for these exiles. But she's also pictured here because of the killing of the baby boys in Bethlehem. Matthew pictures Rachel as weeping once more. So we know that, that, that Jesus, the Christ child, escapes this mad killing of, of Herod. He, the Messiah, faced these incredibly harsh realities. And, and finally, we see in this passage that Jesus in his incarnation meant a sad hometown. And we see that in verses 19 through 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Again, this is the third dream Joseph had. And, and uh, here the angel tells him to take his family back to Israel. But there in Israel, now the son of Herod the Great, is, his name is Herod Archelaus, is ruling in Judea. So the angel says, don't go there, go up to Nazareth. And we see this in verse 23, and this all fulfilled the promises of Scripture. Verse 23 says, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Again, Nazareth was a tiny village in Jesus' day, probably about 400 people. It was a sleepy little town. The jobs were probably were more about um, agrarian work and, and also uh, carpentry. We know who did that, right? And there in Nazareth, 
uh, it was viewed kind of by the southern people who were the educated city people of Jerusalem, the college, the educated, the ones with degrees, sort of speak, so, so to speak, looked down on the uneducated north region of Galilee, which is where Nazareth was. And here Jesus comes to this place. And there we know that he, um, he's kind of looked down. He goes through some harsh realities there. Um, we, we see that uh, later in Jesus' earthly ministry that one of his disciples even said about Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1, 46. But the saddest reality of, of Nazareth was this, is the people didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And we know that from Matthew 13, 58, that says, and he, Jesus, did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. See, Jesus grew up in surrounding skepticism. He was probably made fun of. He was looked down on, and, and ultimately, any kind of idea that he was special or was from God or certainly was God was completely castigated in that community. They didn't believe it. And that was the hard place, the hard city that Jesus himself grew up. He was truly Isaiah 53, 3. Not just in his death, he was the man of sorrows. He was despised and rejected by men. So Jesus, who was fully God and experienced perfect joy in heaven, leaves all that and comes and becomes, as remaining fully God, he becomes fully man and comes to this earth to a place of sadness and struggle in his birth and his childhood and, yes, even his death. I love how Dorothy Sayers, the British essayist, uh, writes about Jesus and the sad realities that he faced. She writes this, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. Man, I'm so glad, aren't you so glad that Jesus felt it so worth his while to leave the glory of heaven, to leave the place of perfect community and come to this earth. Jesus did this for you and me. And God orchestrated all this, his birth, his childhood, and ultimately his death and put him into a place of sadness that ultimately we would have eternal joy. What a God. What a Savior. 
What a rescuing Lord. What an amazing plan that was all predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. It is completely fulfilled by one person alone, Jesus, the Christ. That's why we gather, friends, around Christ, around his name. We don't believe that by our own works or efforts, we're going to get any joy or get satisfied or get content. But we light this candle of joy today knowing that only in our union with Jesus through simple faith, we too can know joy both now and forever. It's not about how good your circumstances are. It's not about how you feel. It's about Christ came. Hallelujah. Do you believe this? Do you know this? In this season, are you meditating on the beauty and wonder and majesty that Christ became fully human. He became incarnate. Thank the Lord. So good news should change us and should change our hearts and the ways that we live and serve. So what do I mean? Uh, remember in Luke's gospel account that the shepherds, joy filled their hearts after they encountered the Christ child. They they, were, they had two responses, worship and proclaiming Jesus to others. Luke 2.20 says that they returned from seeing the Christ child, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. The joy of knowing Jesus filled their hearts with praise and continuous worship. It's, it's, see, it's a gift for us today as well to gather in corporate worship. Thanks be to him. And grow in continuous worship. But I want to also encourage you and ask God to fill your heart with that joy and desire to know his word. This, as we think about the new year. To learn to grow in prayer. We have a prayer conference on February 10th. We are, are you desirous to know that the only object of your affection, the only hope for your joy is founded and grounded in Christ alone? And so today, I just want to urge you to say, not out of duty, not out of performance, but for your very joy, pursue Christ, worship him both now and learn how to do that 24-7. In Luke 2.17, the shepherds also couldn't help but tell others about Jesus and what they had seen. I mean, do we desire to do that, to tell others about him? Or we think, I can't do it, I'm not gifted that way, or whatever we think. You see, people, including many of us in these days, where we are facing a lot of challenges, you know, we know as your pastors how many hard things you're going through. Conflict, disappointment in relationships, job struggles, depression, circumstances that are really hard. You're facing these things. And yet, and in that, all of that, in our weakness, are we trusting God's power to be strong through us? Are we saying, God, I need to unite with you alone to make you known? 
So one way we, we talk about that here at the Vine is prayer, care, and share. Not to be formulaic, but to, first of all, ask, are you praying for your family and friends regularly that don't know Christ? Are you asking God for even opportunities to share your faith with others? Um, and then be creative with how you care for people. Uh, in early prayer, Norm Johnson told me about a former member family, the Pops. Do you guys remember Joy and Eric? And they're in Chattanooga. And uh, Norm went up there because Joy said, Norm, we're hosting a party for our, for our neighborhood. We want you to come too. And they, she went around and just took flyers and said, we're going to have some good food. Come out this day. And about 50 neighbors showed up. And they said they were kind of like starving for community because they said to Joy and to Eric, no one's doing this. We don't even know our neighbors, but thank you that you cared enough to invite us to this gathering. It's meant a lot to us. And what a great way to begin good news conversations. Now, look, you may not be able to host 50, right? You're like, oh, I just, I'm going to host my family. That's going to be. But look, you all have spiritual gifts. How are you gifted? How are, has God given you kind of the wiring and the gifts to serve and to proclaim Jesus? Find the way that you're wired and just lean into it and care for others and then ultimately share good news. And by the way, sharing good news is not that scary. It's, you know, one way we talk about it around here again is just simply share the story of how God changed your life. And here's my story, and no one can refute that. Tell them as clearly as possible, people who don't know Jesus, this is what Christ has done for me. So, man, Christ, Christ, friends, family, gave up Literally everything. He left a world of perfect relationships to come to this sad, broken world and experiencing all and more than what you've ever known. He did it for you and me. And our lives should be continually changed because of what Christ has done. He has come. He's coming again. Thanks be to him. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus ultimately hung on a cross despising its shame. It's shame. Why would he do this? He loved you and me that much. He was obedient to the plan of God the Father. He was willing in his incarnation to face a sad escape, a sad killing, and a sad hometown. All of this, all of this, Christ faced real sadness that you and I might rejoice. Glory be to his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your work. We praise you for Jesus and him alone. Lord, we come to your table now and we give you thanks.
that you did not stay in heaven. You came. You who were fully God became fully human and you came for us and we give you all glory and thanks. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We come weekly to this table. Why do we come? Because we desperately need all that Jesus provided to cause our hearts to know Him and to acknowledge it's only through being in a union with Jesus alone that we can find lasting joy. Joy that no one can take away or no circumstance can change because you are in union with the everlasting Father of the universe. His Holy Spirit makes it real and communicates this message to us over and over again. So we come to this table, not glibly, and not just at certain times. We come because we desperately need all the work of God to change our hearts. As we come to this table, I just want to urge you, as we do weekly, that we would take a time of confession of our sin, that we would acknowledge that, God, I have failed you in things I have done and haven't done. Lord, forgive me. And God, meet with me this Christmas season. Cause my heart to change and grow in knowing you. So let's take just a few moments of silent confession of our sin. Let's pray together and do the work of the church. Let's pray. Now, if you have confessed your sins as a Christ follower, receive his assurance of pardon. Isaiah 53 said, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. He, in Hebrews 12, says, He willingly faced the shame of the cross and died taking your and my sins why? So we may be his, set free, enjoying eternal fellowship with God, connected to real joy. So, church family, because of Christ and what he has done in his word, we have assurance we are forgiven.
Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.